why rev your engine when you're sitting in a, uh, a garage with the door closed. Here we go! Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children, yeah. Talk about them when you see Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the family and discipleship pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Pastor Anthony Trussoni, the supported elder at Poland Baptist Church in Poland, Maine. Good afternoon, Ben. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. A little, little tired, you know, it's getting later in the day, later in the week, so it's just kind of that time. How about you? I get it. So, yeah, doing well. So it's been a busy week. But, uh, you know, one thing that has been nice for, for me recently has been in the past month, for the first time in like years, uh, my wife and I have been able to go on two short dates. So that was that has been a nice thing. Uh, and as a th- really something that was only enabled by some brothers and sisters in Christ that served our family. So that's nice. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, so we actually we saw the new Thor movie, and we also went kayaking. I, uh, no, I'm sorry, not kayaking, but canoeing. I bought a canoe off the side of a road. That's the thing you do in I actually, I actually went out on a date with my wife recently, and you will be stunned. I went to the theater and watched a movie. What too. movie? So uh, we saw that when the crawdads sing. Okay, cool. How was it? Um, it was definitely thought-provoking. So it's yeah, not provo- TFM. A lot of conversation afterwards. So it's not TFM endorsed then? Ah, uh, wouldn't necessarily say so. Okay. But. So, all right. So, well, thinking about dating, I want to ask you, Ben, when did you go on your first date? Not just with Tiffany, but like period. And was it a good experience? Uh, does prom or banquet count? Um, sure. Why not? <laughs> okay. So, probably 11th grade. Uh, it was okay. And then in 12th grade, I hung out with this girl, um, went on some dates, but I don't remember a whole lot. I mean, none of the experiences were too bad. I do remember, though, one time taking out this girl I hung out with in my senior year. We got to this restaurant, and then I realized that I had either forgotten my wallet or just didn't have any money in my wallet. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, thankfully, we had not ordered any food yet or anything like that. We'd only gotten water. And the closest person that uh, I could think that live where we were was my my best friend, and so I called his mom and asked if I could come borrow some money. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so we had to drive and do that. So that was that was kind of embarrassing, but I, I do still remember that. So that's funny. So yeah, for me, I was uh, 16 on my first date, uh, and it was with a coworker at a movie theater. And uh, as a, such a romantic that I was, I took her to the movie theater to see a movie for free. Because we got movie tickets for free. <laughs> so, well done. <laughs> I know, yeah. It's uh, really romantic. So, uh, yeah. And I, I ended up having more or less two, you know, sort of girlfriends in high school. And, but, you know, they, I'm not sure I'd say it was a good experience, you know, in some ways, you know, uh, decent enough people, I guess. Uh, but, you know, it was kind of a forced thing. It wasn't, you know, I probably was not. Uh, and either case is fully mutual in one way, uh, one of them less mutual one way and another one of them less mutual the other way. So, uh, so I, I, I would say I re- actually regret dating in high school if I, I could have gone back and 
smack myself across the face. In my case, I would have not have dated in high school at all. But you know, uh, but we're going to talk about it in general dating in high school or whatever. And, and I don't think that I'm saying I would smack around every person that dates in high school. Oh, I was hoping so. That's good. <laughs> anyway, so thinking about dating then today, Ben, what actually is dating? Or should we just say courting? Uh, are we, you know, conceding to the devil if we say the word dating? I mean, after all, both start with the letter D. You do make a good point. Uh, I'm not real picky on what you call it. Um, I mean, if you call it hooking up or something, <laughs> that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> no. um, just the cultural connotation there. But uh, people define it differently, and I think it depends on what their goal is, what they're after. It could just be a social time passer. Um, it could be for hooking up for many people. Uh, it could be trying to select a marriage partner. And so I think it just depends on who's looking at it, what the goal is. Yeah, I kind of defined it as a semi-committed romantic relationship. So, you know, I, I think when you kind of consider dating or courting, I guess in a way like courting is better, but sometimes it's just semantics. Again, it's, you know, I think sometimes what people mean by dating in Christian circles can basically be the same thing that somebody else would mean by courting. And, uh, you know, tomato, tomato, let's call the whole thing off. So <laughs> it's a good point. Yeah. So to me, whatever word is fine, as long as we don't treat emotional entanglement as something that is light and even beyond just not hook up. I, I think to me, as long as we don't, uh, kind of juvenilize it in a way. And as long as we're not, uh, you know, running kind of, hopscotch over the seriousness of of what's going on yeah yeah i think that's a good way to put it now is dating sinful or worldly i think to a degree we've answered this but i'm curious your thoughts on it well it can be but it doesn't have to be i think it depends on what you're doing and why you're doing it i mean i can think of some situations where it's very worldly and uh, the sole purposes are you know just selfish and and fleshly and sinful uh, but there's other ways that it could be an edifying thing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, frankly, in most cases, I agree. Yeah, I mean, most cases, it probably is sinful. It's not inherently sinful. It's not even inherently worldly. Uh, but I'm not sure, though, in many cases that it's inherently worse than a lot of the non-dating alternatives that exist around. I mean, there, you know, there's a lot of complex questions, especially with a lot of the purity movement stuff. But, uh, you know, I think that it can be a loving pursuit of the Lord's will at times. If it's done clearly for the glory of God, I, I think without question, it can be a loving pursuit. It can be seeking what God's will is in your life and seeking whether or not God is, you know, really heading to bringing two people together for his glory and for our good. Mm -hmm. But uh, how might dating be a biblical and theological matter? You know, some might not think, what does theology have to do with all this stuff? You can talk about theology on your date, I guess. Um, I've done that with my wife many a times. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we've done, I'm sure probably at some point in 14 years we've done it. Um, I know at home we have. I think it does. It reveals our priorities. It can reveal how we view marriage and sexuality, which are very theological issues. Um, it could reveal our theology of love, and I don't simply mean eros, though that is a theological issue too. I mean, the Bible addresses those things. You've got the Song of Solomon, 
um, as a extended expose on God's purposes for marriage. So it, it touches on some some big things. And, and, you know, we've talked about this before, how marriage is central. It's a, a display of day by day living out picture of Christ's relationship with his people. Yeah. And so it gets at the core of what God is doing in history. So since it's it's orbiting around these things, I think it is important. And um, the things that we do or don't do and, and just how we approach that, how we do love others, uh, all those kinds of things, uh, it's a matter of our discipleship. So Those are really good points. Uh, I, I've had a couple and some Bible verses, I think, that are relevant to the topic of dating. Uh, so and first, in terms of theology, you know, I, I think that dating is something that makes us need to think about our theology. So uh, an example of this actually might be that I know somebody that we went to church with at one place and uh, she was single and uh, and ended up getting married to somebody who probably has some significant theological differences from her that are not first tier issues. And, uh, you know, things that are pretty big, you know, pretty big second tier stuff. And it has caused some kind of complexity in that relationship, some complexity in that marriage and even in that household. And, uh, you know, and and not to say that's always inherently wrong, but I mean, I I think that these kind of things need to be thought about. And I like to encourage even, for example, uh, people that I know, young people that I know, to discuss what you believe about roles in marriage, what you believe about women pastors and, you know, things like that. Even Calvinism and Arminianism to a degree and how comfortable you are with one another on that. Because, you know, that's something if you pursue marriage, that's something you're going to have to adjust life to. You can't divorce your wife because she doesn't have the same eschatology as you do. Uh, (laughs) I don't think that's anywhere in scripture. Yeah, hopefully somebody's not that foolish. I'm taking, too, as well, you know, a couple passages in Scripture on this. I mean, the Bible is very clear about limitations, which is also a theological issue in marriage. It says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, I I think it's been well argued that this is not primarily about marriage, uh, but it is very much as well about marriage. You know, it, uh, it covers a broader spectrum than just marriage issues. But within that spectrum, 100% dating should be included in it. You know, we need to make sure that people that are believers are not dating those who aren't. Although God can use it. I, I know of a situation, uh, some dear brothers and sisters in our Lord where that happened apart from the will of God and and God worked and brought salvation to the one who was not saved. Uh, but then 1 Corinthians 6.18, which really gets to what we've talked about some, about, you know, sexual issues, uh, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Considering that, like I've actually read statistically, the vast majority of even evangelical couples and dating will have sex before marriage nowadays. And, you know, that's a biblical issue. It is. And I mean, I've done not tons and tons of premarital counseling, but I've, I've counseled several couples and... I was surprised at how many of them, not that they were necessarily active on an ongoing basis, but, you know, that they had given themselves to that. 
Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I don't want to address it too much today, but even one just off the top of my head, I'm prepared on this. It relates to it and is similar and is going to overlap because human nature is, uh, you know, living together. I mean, the number of Christians that live together outside of marriage is become astronomically high, like surprising to people high. Uh, and, uh, and that's something that we need to think about. And it's a theology issue that we jump past sometimes. Mm. So when should uh, Christian young people start dating? And uh, with that, I want to ask, you know, what about kind of that cute elementary kids dating? Is that okay? Or, you know, maybe even should we have, you know, the a little, two little toddlers have set, a, set aside dates on a play date? Uh, I certainly don't have a hard line on when they should. Uh, and so in one sense, it seems like if, if you're ready and you're able to get married, then you could start. Now, those are some big qualifiers. What constitutes ready and able? You know, so I'm not necessarily going with my own experience. Yes, I did a little bit of dating in high school. I was not ready to get married. I was a pretty serious kid, but I mean, I was not ready to yeah. get married. I was not financially independent, those kinds of things. But I think those are big factors. It's not simply a social activity mm -hmm. uh, that you're doing. I think that's just treating it with, with some level of respect. And uh, it's not just something to pass the time with someone who you may find physically attractive. Uh, the elementary thing, I think it's unwise and unhelpful, it's personally. It's more common than ever. Oh, I, I'm not surprised. Um, I mean, I hear about it. I have elementary age kids and people talking about it. And, you know, we've, we know someone who is, uh, you know, in those, one of those kind of things with a, a neighbor. And so I have heard far more than I ever cared to hear about uh, about those kids. Um, <laughs> thankfully, it's, it's finally starting to die down. But um, I don't think it's helpful, personally. Um, I mean, you can't stop your child from having those fluttery feelings about someone. I, I mean, you just you simply can't. But you can have a say in what they do about it. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't think we necessarily need to encourage them to become an item or something like that and define themselves as a couple and have frequent constant communication and that kind of thing. Yeah, I first want to say, you know, the little kid dating thing, I legitimately suspect at least one of our listeners going to have a situation where they're going to have to think about this. Um, you know, this is just really unhealthy, you know, even if it's cute. And I think it sets an unhealthy understanding of relationships that frankly is honestly selfish. Uh, more so than we want to give ourselves credit to. And, and you know, in a lot of ways, I mean, we, we talk about a lot, the boots you put on are the ones you grow into. You know, we're putting on the boots that people are going to grow into. And if you're defining dating at a young age because you think it's adorable uh, with your friends as that kind of cutesy stuff, they're going to grow into that understanding relationship more so than we're willing to recognize or accept. And uh, But beyond that, because that's not really truly dating, obviously. I'm not comfortable with the rule for others specifically, uh, given, you know, obviously the Bible has cases like Joseph and Mary seems to both be teenagers when they got married. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to I, I don't want to uh, go around, you know, I think it's wise to respect laws in our country and it's a different culture than them. Uh, and by the way, for listeners knowledge, if you ever think, well, you know, Joseph is like 30 something. That it comes entirely some 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 warped Catholic theology that tries to justify the existence of Marys of the other children. So he probably was a teenager as well. And uh, you know, but given that, I mean, the Bible doesn't necessarily frown upon it. I'm gonna be I'm gonna have a hard time saying that it's inherently 
wrong for two, you know, financially unstable, even godly 16, 17 year olds to date with the intention of marriage. But I generally think it's a good principle would be that only they should date when they are reasonably close enough to marry. Uh, you know, I'm not going to, you know, defining exactly where that line is is going to be difficult, but a lot of my reasoning in that, and I think is biblical, is, you know, more temptation for people is inherently a foolish idea. And especially for teenagers that are heavy in the hormones, uh, you know, adding that amount of, you know, I, I just can't imagine a couple, you know, that's even love the Lord that starts dating at 14 and has to wait until they're 19 or 20 or 21 to marry, that's not going to fall into sin. I, I just cannot imagine that kind of situation. Uh, that So for our kids, I would imagine, you know, we're navigating it as we get there, but uh, we've talked, you know, probably realistically late high school, you know, depending on the child and depending on the situation. Yeah, it, it's a multi-layered complex issue, and so I don't know there's a one-size-fits-all. No. yeah. But definitely not the you know little nine year olds or two year olds dating. <laughs> no. All right. So who can Christian young people date now? I mean, can they you know date themselves? That's that's a thing that's happening more. A lot of people are having marital ceremonies with themselves. Uh, I have not seen that one. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, I would say first off, in today's culture, this seems to be important. But someone of the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not joking. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, that, that's part of it. Say another, someone who loves the Lord, they're, they're a Christian. Uh, and I think wisdom would say someone that you could see yourself possibly marrying, not that you know, yeah. or, you know, the, the Holy Spirit told me I'm going to marry you kind of thing. Just, you don't look at them and you talk to them and go, there is no way on earth that I could be married to you. I mean, it would just be foolish to go entertain it. You know, it's like in the movie Dumb and Dumber and she's like, ah, it's like one in a million. Like, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's not in that realm. So I think that's just a wise thing to do. Don't don't waste your time uh, if there's no conceivable way that this would ever happen. Yeah, I, I would say a, a couple similar things. So I again, like we said, the Bible is very very clear. Only a believer and only a believer of the opposite uh, sex and and gender, which is synonymous. And uh, it's important right. to establish. So uh, and uh, but I think beyond that. Uh, lining up on, on you know, we've talked about theological triage before, basically the idea that there are core doctrines, then there are kind of our issues that we have to be united on as a church. For example, believer's baptism versus infant baptism and stuff like that. And then there are, you know, lower level things, which would include Calvinism or Arminianism probably. Uh, and But I think lining up on those kind of second tier things that would define where you can go to church, I think that matters a lot. Yeah, I, I really, I, I don't see a situation where it's ever really healthy for somebody who believes that their child should be baptized as an infant to marry somebody who believes that 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 is unbiblical and not real baptism. You know, I think that is really going to impact a relationship and other second tier ones like that. Yeah, like we've got friends that are Presbyterian and I think they love the Lord. But yeah, I mean, if, if it's like, well, what do we, I mean, that's that's not something you can just defer on. <laughs> like, no, no, no. So but. Yeah, and I think beyond that, I mean, I think there's a principle of actually my wife, uh, I'm going to give her credit for it, Danielle credit for it. Uh, she talks a lot about relationships as kind of finding, you know, a running buddy. 
You know, if you're into running, somebody that helps you kind of get your best time, somebody who's going to challenge you and you're going to challenge them uh, and push each other forward. And I think that is probably somebody you should date is somebody that, you know, is going to push you forward, you know, is you're going to be able to push them forward. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes it's right to compromise the quote unquote compatibility stuff for that. Especially knowing that, you know, I, I mean, I honestly, I think of, you know, uh, I, I've talked to some teens on this before and one specific teen. Uh, I think to me, if you are uh, by the world standards and measurements, you know, we horribly and sexistly define people, you know, she's a one, she's a 10 or whatever. You know, it is way better to date the person that you think is is lower on that, you know, that you even are, you know, have to develop that attraction to that is somebody who's running after the Lord. And part of it is because those attractions change. We change, we evolve, we grow as people. And, uh, you know, even like if you base it upon, you know, I like to kayak. I mean, a lot of people like to kayak. I'm a kayaking person. I want to marry a kayaking person rather than, you know, a knitting person. Well, the truth is, you know, you're going to be married to that person in 20 years. And maybe you won't be a kayaking person anymore, and maybe they won't be a knitting person anymore. And so finding looking for something beyond that, I think sometimes can be unhelpful for people. Those are some good points. And in my experience interacting with lots of males, young males in particular, they're notorious for overestimating um, <laughs> on that scale. Like, I don't know, man, I don't think I can go for anything less than an eight. It's like, dude, you're a three. So you know. great gospel collation article on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I legitimately like I think in that to me, I think growing in godliness, actually, you know, in a healthy relationship, there is a sense in which we grow, you know, we, we attractiveness is not just about appearance. And, you know, and we even know this from, you know, general knowledge of, of human beings that, you know, that a woman might become more physically attracted to us based upon seeing how good of a mother somebody is or seeing, you know, things like that. And, uh, and that always is going to change and progress. And, and I think chances are, you know, if a young person is listening to this and you know they're and they found somebody that loves the lord fiercely and you're not 100 percent sure you're as attracted to them as you are somebody else i mean i think probably you know take what we said seriously if that makes sense anyway so should young people who are dating be more like an item or just kind of like close friends is it wrong to kind of have this twosome type relationship where it's officially that we're dating um yeah, it's funny. I was listening to something the other day about the rise of social media, and they were talking to some people. One of the people they interviewed was someone who was around my age, and so that things were tracking along like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. And so do you remember back when we were in college, uh, it was sort of viewed that like, oh, you're official if it's on Facebook. Oh, yeah, 100% it's I like, do. <laughs> it's like Facebook defines reality. And oh, goodness, the mess we're in now, how many ever years later? But before that, it was it's complicated, remember? <laughs> should again i think this is we're wading into a lot of this is the issues of, of wisdom and sound judgment i mean there's some issues here of of righteousness and obedience and sin and that kind of thing uh as it touches on direct sexual acts but past that i think it really is a lot of trying to be wise and operate within our culture because i mean there's cultures around the world even where there's the church, and I mean, they operate with arranged marriages. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that's necessarily a moral question. I, that's just how it is. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I necessarily want to do that, but um, so should. I don't know. 
but uh, I think it would be wise to be something closer towards close friends. Yeah. Especially depending on your age and maturity and that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I would definitely say uh, the first and most important thing I want to note is that, and this should be true regardless of where you're at, if they're two believers, they should act as siblings in Christ first. And, and this is true even when you're married. Uh, you know, that is your first identifier with this person. And, and that matters a lot. You know, that's going to mean that, uh, you know, you have to be in a situation where if things don't work out, if somebody moves, somebody goes to a different college or whatever it is, you know, that we're, we're good because, you know, we love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're not going to regret that time together. In fact, you know, uh, I think if a done right, a Christian young people in a relationship uh, that would leave one another closer to the Lord, even if it doesn't work out. So, mm -hmm. uh, but in general, I think probably I, I see it as more unfolding into life progressively. You know, that uh, I think a great example of it, you know, some a young person I know where it kind of really started, you know, they would they would go to, you know, this other young person would go to, you know, some family events with them. Um, and, you know, and it was progressively moving towards something more formal. Uh, I think that's really healthy and biblical and godly uh, rather than what tends to be the case as, you know, a kind of more movie romance, you know, <laughs> the uh, that, you know, evolving as, you know, over and over focus on that kind of formality that we're dating, we're an item. This is, you know, who we are. I mean, probably I would suspect it should be even so much the case that it's not going to be obnoxious in youth group. You know, <laughs> you know I, I think probably even if done rightly, I'm not going to say it should necessarily, but I think I think if pursued rightly for the Lord, I think sometimes Christian young people could really think about multiple people at the same time. You know, I mean, could be, you know, going out with friends uh, with one guy one night, if it's a you know young woman that loves the Lord, going out with another guy that loves the Lord. And then, you know, with an understanding that both of them know, you know, a different guy another night, just as they were kind of thinking through these kind of things. I, I don't, I wouldn't do that deceptively though. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good idea because attachments can form whether you even intend it or not. So yeah. we're, we're stepping a lot into the, the, the realm of wisdom and sound judgment, not, uh, I don't know, some people have just gone crazy about the purity culture. And mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, there's some things to critique. We've done an episode on it. But I guess some of the instances I saw of it were not so as egregious. Now, I've heard some real stories. It's like, man, that's really sad how this person was treated. We also, though, have, I, I think, some of what informs some of that is a kind of culture of victimhood. And so if stuff goes bad, it's all those other people's fault. Um, yep. And this perpetual seeing myself as the victim of, of what everybody else has done. And yeah. I'm not denying that some people really were victimized or treated poorly or sinfully. I'm not saying that, but that's not every situation. Um, yeah. I don't think that's not what we're trying to do here to make some sort of no. hard and fast law. No, no. And I think a lot of what we're trying to get at is really a worldview approach in these kind of relationships, because, you know, I think that a lot of young people are, are in danger of making the relationships uh, that, uh, you know, similar to, you know, have you ever seen the movie Jerry Maguire? Yeah, a long time ago. That uh, I mean, he, show me the money. That was not the end. He he was like basically expressing, you know, how much he needs her. You know, this you know realized basically how much he needs her in this romantic speech, and she's like, "You had me at hello." Isn't that? I think that's where I had me at. But I remember this iconic Tom Cruise is you know telling her how much you know he needs her, how essential she is his life, and and I think 
to me, that's a lot of what secular romance and dating is, even among teens. But that is so fundamentally unhealthy and unbiblical. And we need to build our understanding of relationships based upon a rejection of that. And, and instead, an understanding that who we are in Christ is enough. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Now, should uh, with this all noted, should anything beyond sex be off limits for dating teens? I think that you should restrain a lot of the physical affection. Um, what you talked about, the hormone department, the levels being high. And so, and probably you have less self-control at 16, 17 than you will at a later point in your life. And so doing things that are just going to pump that up. Uh, and I don't know from a physiological standpoint exactly how all that's going, but certainly the desire levels go up as you start doing those things. And so, I mean, so like why rev your engine when you're sitting in a, uh, a garage with the door closed? Like things could get bad yeah. if you sit there just, you know, pumping the gas pedal or if you're going down an exit ramp builds long and you're building up speed and you're like in fourth gear and all of a sudden you just slam on the brakes or you throw it down into first gear. Um, that's just not a, a good situation to be in. And so that you're just inviting temptation that, that you don't need to. Yeah, I think in general, you know, and again, a lot of this is wisdom. And, you know, different people struggle with sin in different ways. And we have to understand that. But you know, there is some commonality. And so, yeah, being alone, I think, in most cases, for especially young people in relationship, is going to be asking for trouble. Actually, I think of, uh, and this really isn't a purity culture book, but William P. Farley has a, uh, a really excellent uh, book about dating, Holding Hands, Holding Hearts. And he mentions kind of the story where he had this couple that he was counseling, and they're debating on whether to go. They had this opportunity to go on a cruise, but they uh, that could only afford to have one room together. No, I'm sorry. They were separate rooms, but they were separate in adjacent rooms, like to get a shared door. And there's, you know, thought it would be fine. You know, they, they're not going to be with friends and family, but it will be, you know, fine and they'll be OK. And but they asked his opinion on it kind of as a formality. And his response was that if you're going to do this, uh, just save yourself the money and make it one room. And uh, basically, it's like, you know, I, I don't buy that you're going to be able to come back. And they did just two rooms. And sure enough, by like the second or third night, uh, they were in the same room and having sexual relations. And, you know, I think there's some wisdom principles there of we know that's how human sinfulness It's just how works. things work. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and some of this will be cultural and what's off date limits. You know, for example, in other cultures, it's not uncommon for men to kiss one another on the cheek. You know, and or the mouth. Enough. Yeah, whatever. Uh, but I feel like until a ring is present, uh, you know, I would do very little in a romantic relationship with something that you wouldn't do with a friend or sibling. And, uh, you know, so again, that's going to be somewhat culturally defined. Uh, and, and I'm not going to make that a harder press rule. Maybe the listener has teenagers that are somehow more resistant to temptation than any other teenager that pretty much has ever existed except for Jesus. But <laughs> I'm, I'm over city. I'm kidding. So Now, how can parents help their children and teens think about romantic relationships? I think you want to help them think about why are they doing this? What's their goal or their purpose? If they say that they want to, to date or court or whatever their name you want to come up with for it, also look at what God's word says. I mean, there's not necessarily a step-by-step -step dating procedure in scripture, but what other issues does it touch on? 
like marriage, like sexuality, like loving others, and asking what is important to God as it relates to this. Another just practical kind of thing is looking at who their friends are, and uh, that can be a helpful thing to evaluate and what other people that might know them say about them. But I think the, the two things I mentioned at the beginning are bigger picture and helping them evaluate their own motives and then seeing, okay, does this line up with what God's purposes are for me generally? Yes, I think God does have a secret counsel of, of how mm-hmm. he has planned for your life. He doesn't always make all those things known to you in the detail that you might want. But if it's an unbeliever or something, well, as much as they may be charming and whatever else— I can tell you, no, this is not something you should pursue. Yeah. So looking at those kinds of things, but what else would you add to that? Yeah. So I think that parents need to bring this up before the kids, you know, and Mm, I'm hesitant to say need with this topic in general, but I might be willing to on that. I I think it's, (laughs) it's pretty good practice. So, uh, which this tends to not happen as much as you would think. I probably think it's wise for, in most cases, for parents to explain, you know, we've had conversations with our even youngest kids about these kind of topics already, about what we understand and what we expect. And I I think that's pretty wise to do so. And I think when you do that, to show them that, you talked about typology uh, of, you know, what marriages, what romantic relationships are supposed to represent. And I think parents should show that. Uh, you know, should show that mm. fundamentally romantic relationships are a picture of Christ in the church. And I think when you do this, I think it's probably also wise because we also want to acknowledge, you know, not everyone's going to get married. And in fact, some of the godliest people don't, uh, you know, I think show that our end all be all relationship is not to be with our romantic partner in the future, but we must be content in the Lord and know that what he's given to us is more than enough. His presence, his love for us is that which we should pursue above all else. And, uh, and I think with that rightly defined love for them, and you can listen to our podcast on love from like three years ago, four years ago, maybe six, I don't know, six years ago about love for them. And and by the way, in case you were wondering, it does start out with that song from the SNL. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, should Christian parents make rules for their children and teen about dating? Uh, And if so, what kind of rules should they make? I definitely, I think so. I think if you allow it, especially when they're younger, they're under your roof, uh, some kind of curfew. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not just out whenever. Uh, now, to me, until a few, I don't, sometime in my adult life, I heard about this. And I remember just being astonished that parents would allow this kind of thing. Um, but sleepovers are not allowed. Uh, and uh, no closed door meetings or being in the bedroom with the mm-hmm. door closed. Uh, I've just heard of things like that. And I mean, let's kind of like the adjoining rooms on the cruise ship, you're just inviting trouble. So I think some of those kinds of things, but I, so yes, you're, you're setting some helpful boundaries for them. And you're not just trying to all this one-on-one time, not that they can never have a conversation with each other kind of thing, but they don't need to be out in a parked car, you know, in the woods kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I mean, just those things are not good and helpful for someone at that stage. So that's where my mind immediately goes. Um, again, I think if, if you've got a believing teenager and or, or young person, whoever it is, and they're going after, they're under your roof and they're like, well, I'm going to date this, this pagan. Well, no, you're not going to do that. Um, 
yeah, mine goes mainly to some of those kind of just practical boundaries. But I mean, where else would you take that, or, or would you would you just let them have a free for all? Uh-huh. Well, similar to what you had kind of noted, I think if your child tells you, you know, hey, I'm going to go with my uh, girlfriend, uh, and we're going to go spend some time in private one on one prayer. Uh, where are you going? Uh, we're going to make out point, uh, and uh, we're just doing the two of us. <laughs> they go evangelize the other couples here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, yeah. First, I want to note it's not legalistic for parents to make these rules. Uh, you know, I there's so often a misunderstanding of legalism. Uh, I don't think I think it would be legalistic to say that if somebody doesn't follow those rules, they're going to hell. Uh, or, you know, to say that somebody else has to follow your rules that you don't have in the Bible, but you are their parent. It is right and appropriate to make those rules. But I, I feel like not making rules like that. I mean, really like what you said. I mean, it is naive about human nature, which is something we can't be with a biblical worldview. Uh, and I think that they're going to be different case by case. Uh, but rules that protect them from making mistakes are pretty much always going to be good. And this doesn't mean that they're gonna, we're going to be able to prevent them from sinning sexually. A lot of times they will. I mean, teens can prove themselves really, really clever when it comes to following their hormones. Uh, but, uh, and so I think with that said, part of making rules is I think that we're going to also need to be preparing to how we can have a gracious response and a loving and kind response, especially knowing that. I mean, honestly, some of the godliest people I know, deeply godly couples that did, in fact, sin sexually before marriage. And it's something that they wish they had not done, but it's not a shame that is going to defile them for all their lives. And that might mm-hmm. be the case for our children. Yeah, I think something to note, too, depending on what you do or don't do with digital devices and and all of that, that can be another realm where that stuff enters in. Mm. That's a big issue, uh, sexting and that kind of thing. And just getting them to think through that some, hopefully you make it attractive enough where they go, yeah, that's, I don't want to do that. But you send pictures to someone and then things go south. I mean, you're just asking for public humiliation or semi-public humiliation. Um, and so that I think enters into, you know, what, what you're doing as well. And just if you were to allow, I mean, I, I, I don't know, we're not at the point where we've given those kinds of devices to our kids, but, you know, making it clear, we have access to that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, there are times in which I wonder if, uh, you know, the apostle Paul wrote first Corinthians today, if he'd write the exact words he had and then just add a verse at the end. And by the way, 17-year-olds, 15-year-olds have no need to be on Snapchat. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I know. (laughs) So maybe that's another podcast for another day. So Uh, Now, how can churches prepare the whole body to rightly navigate romantic pursuits in this kind of sense? Or, you know, whether it be supporting, encouraging, calling out, or, you know, even preparing people for it. Well, I think in some cases we can help arrange those things. If we know a godly per two godly people say, hey, you know, you should try to meet up. Uh, and I think that can be a thing to be encouraged. But before that, I think we want to teach and to live out a biblical ethic on marriage and sexuality and make it attractive. 
mm-hmm. um, we can have the view of traditional marriage that, let's face it, most people in basically every society in human history have held to until just a few years ago. It's not revolutionary, but a biblical ethic on that. We can support it and say, oh, this is what should happen in the government or, or whatever the case may be. But if we're not living in ourselves, it does not have the same traction. You can stand out there with a sign and be angry yeah. and uh, they're taking away our country or this or that. Uh, and yes, I think those are some prop people pushing the boundaries of, of what that is. But in our homes and in our local churches, we've got to live that out. Uh, don't you mentioned this earlier about with your kids, uh, parents and their kids, but don't assume that every person of sexual maturity will or should be in a romantic relationship or will one day be married. Uh, many will statistically, but not all will. And so don't make it like the ultimate defining yeah. purpose validation in life. I mean, the ideal, the perfect image of God, Jesus Christ, was not married to a human woman. I mean, he's he's got his bride, the church, but that's different. Uh, and so I don't think we want to suggest that Jesus was somehow incomplete. Now, you can take the, the really radical view that Mary Magdalene was his his bride and, you know, the stuff that comes up at Christmas and Easter on like the History Channel. But I don't think, <laughs> I think we're going to go there. Heresy. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um and emphasize the life of the church together that, yes, I mean, romantic relationships, they are a good thing, a gift from God, but they are not everything. And I mean, I tell this when I do parental counseling, when I marry people, this person is not going to make your wildest dreams come true. They're going to create new problems that you didn't even know you had. And and I, I'll also tell this person, the Lord is going to use like sandpaper in your life. You have rough edges that need to be smoothed down to make you more like Jesus. Sometimes it's going to be fine grain. Sometimes it's going to be coarse, but they also are going to be a great source of joy. And so not trying to make it too dramatic or, oh, it's just all hard, but giving a realistic view of it. I think that's that's helpful for people uh, at different stages of not being married and looking at people who are, who love the Lord and who are walking through it because it is effort and it is a, I think, Luther talked about being a school of sanctification uh, in your home. Yeah, I'd say two things that basically go to what you've been saying, but, you know, two kind of somewhat contrasting but not contradicting things. I think that we should talk about this, even specifically talk about, you know, helping teens date, you know, helping young people explore this from the pulpit when texts bring us to it, as well as even in like Sunday school classes, whatever. Uh, But at the same time, that we should be extraordinarily careful not to make an idol out of relationships and marriage in a way that I, I think happens a ton among evangelical churches. So much so that, you know, I mean, I know my wife is a family member that loves the Lord and as, you know, a, a single adult. And, uh, you know, this person feels as basically expressed it's, you know, like this person's a unicorn when they go to visit a church, especially if they have more of a traditional Sunday school model. And, you know, and we've talked about this somewhat, but I think that is really, really important that we be very careful in this because, you know, we need to be mindful because, the you know, the best way that you're a good boyfriend, if you're a 17-year-old boyfriend, is going to be by being a godly person. And the mm-hmm. best way that you're going to be a good wife, if you're a 60-year-old wife, is going to be by being a godly person first. Mm-hmm. And that's universal. That applies to everyone, whether they're married or not. Yeah, good point. Now, how should next-gen ministries navigate it when students date one another? And I know I've worked in teen ministry more than you have, so maybe this is something I've been more noting and bothered by in times. Tell them to repent. Yes. 
boys over here, girls over there. I do think you want to watch them and give them boundaries. Uh, And it is a form of loving them and holding them accountable. Uh, It helps them. It helps others. I think you can informally mentor them, disciple them. You want to talk to and check in with their parents, depending on – I mean if things are good or there's concerns, but just – making the parents aware and all that and and address concerns that you might have hey guys you've been touching each other a lot let's Mm -hmm. not do that um you know those kinds of things i think those are forms of showing love to them teaching them helping them along because sometimes just the giddiness of it just overcomes everything else their judgment is very clouded and so it can be helpful for wiser people who are not as emotionally attached to, to help them through that but from firsthand experience, I mean, what was what was good? I think the PDA thing is incredibly important and more necessary to bring up for those who ever work with teens or children, or even sometimes older children, than you know. I mean, I, I know of a time where I was at kind of a camp and there was a youth pastor I know. He was uh, basically opposite side of a couch from uh, two teens in his youth group. And uh, it, I was so uncomfortable with how they related to one another, was to say, but it wasn't my place. I, I, maybe it was. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I, I do think in general, you know, and maybe this isn't something that's brought up enough, is I think next-gen ministries can show support for things when things seem to be right. You know, you know sometimes these relationships are very healthy. And I think a great thing we can do is come alongside and encourage it when it's healthy. Uh, but then at the same time, do the harder work of saying something when it's not, because that's going to happen a lot as well. So, But regardless, and this is the most important part of what I'm saying, make sure parents are aware. If you are aware of a relationship among teens or children in your church and the parents are not aware, you need to correct that immediately. Yeah. That yeah. happens way too As much. a dad, I would want to know. I know of many cases where that has not happened. So, All right. Now, uh, with talking about this kind of dating stuff, is Christian dating a failure when it doesn't end in the wedding bells? No, I don't think so. I think it can give wisdom for those involved or for those that those people that were involved may influence in the future uh, as they continue to try to follow the Lord. It can help you grow in loving people in a biblical way, gaining understanding about those things, uh, and help you better discern like, oh, I thought that maybe it was – you talked earlier about finding someone that you were really super physically attracted to and realizing, huh, that's – there's more to it than that. Or I mean you could just multiply examples, but it it can be a way of godly learning, and uh, it's not like, oh, man, you're a failure. And I I think there can be that mindset. Maybe it came somewhat from like the courting purity stuff, Mm -hmm. but – yeah, I don't think you need to repent and dust and ashes over that. No, I think it's really good words. So, I mean, yeah, I especially I strongly agree with you that sometimes the courtship mentality can lead to kind of a sense that it's a failure when you get to know somebody who's a brother or sister better and realize it just wouldn't work out. Uh, you know, I think you can glorify God. Both people can. It cannot work out. But, you know, to me, I think in a lot of ways, godly dating, no matter what you call it, invest in friendships that will last for eternity, even if no wedding bells happen. And I think to me, there's a beauty because, you know, there might be the case that, you know, parents listening, you might one day have a teen or a young adult or 60 year old that dates somebody and it doesn't work out. Uh, and that, you know, if those two people are believers, they will still be, to me, I think, closer in eternity than any husband and wife are in this life. And they need to be prepared for that. Good. 
Well, I hope that uh, listeners enjoy this podcast and benefit from it. So, you know, um, you can uh, you can listen to this podcast when you're on a date. Uh, you can listen. You can take you can take yourself on a date, I guess, for it. I, I kid. That's a weird thing. And if you're up on Makeout Hill, you just crank the car off and drive back down as you listen to this. Exactly. Good idea. All right. Well, it was a good discussion, Ben. I hope that you have a wonderful day, and I hope our listeners are blessed. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.